0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at Burlington.org. Afternoon, everyone. Thank you to uh, all of our musical contributions today. It was, certainly made the Sabbath so far, the Sabbath service, a, a joy. Good to see so many faces. Thank you for... Coming out to services here with us today, it's certainly an exciting day for us here. For those of you who, and there are many here that were there a year ago, uh, it's hard to believe it's been. In some ways it's hard to believe it's been a year, and in some ways it's hard to believe we've done so much in a year. So uh, it's kind of uh, a little, uh, a bit of a dichotomy there. As we, as we noted last year, in the the opening message before Pastor Watson spoke last year, there was a. Dangerous seacoast, notorious for shipwrecks. And there was, on this seacoast was a crude little life-saving station. Actually, it was merely a hut with only one boat. But the members kept constant watch over the turbulent sea. And with little thought for themselves, they would go out day and night tirelessly searching for those in danger, as well as the lost. Many lives were saved by this brave little band who worked faithfully as a team in and out of this life-saving station. And over the course of time, it became a very famous life-saving station. Some of those who had been saved, as well as others along the seacoast, wanted to become associated with this little station. They were willing to give up their time, their energy, and their money in support of its objectives. New boats were purchased, new crews were trained, The station, once obscure and crude and and virtually insignificant, began to grow. Some of its members were unhappy that the hut was so unattractive and so poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided. So emergency cots were replaced by lovely furniture. Rough and handmade equipment was discarded, and sophisticated, classy systems were installed. The hut, of course had to be torn down to make room for all of this additional equipment, this additional furniture, and these new systems. By the time all of this was completed, the life-saving station had become a popular gathering place, and its objectives had begun to shift. It was now used as a sort of clubhouse, an attractive building for public gathering. Saving lives, feeding the hungry, strengthening the fearful, and calming the disturbed rarely occurred anymore. Fewer members were interested in braving the sea on life-saving missions, so they hired professional lifeboat crews to do the work for them. The original goal of the station wasn't altogether forgotten, however. Life-saving motifs still prevailed in the club's decorations. You could see it around the the brand-new hall. You could see little uh, uh, paintings and posters about life-saving. There was a liturgical lifeboat preserved in the Room of Sweet Memories, with soft, indirect lighting, which helped hide the layer of dust upon the once-used vessel. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the boat crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, and some were terribly sick and lonely. Others were different from the majority of the club members. The beautiful new club suddenly became messy and cluttered. A special committee was arranged and saw to it that the shower house... A shower house was immediately built outside, away from the club, so victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside the new club. At the next meeting, there were strong words and angry feelings which resulted in a division among the members. Most of the people wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities and all involvement with shipwreck victims. As you'd expect, some still insisted on saving lives. This was their primary objective, of course and that their only reason for existence was ministering to anyone needing help, regardless of the club's beauty, size, or decoration. They were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could go start their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. And as the years passed, the new station experienced the same old changes. It evolved into another club, and yet another life-saving station was begun and history repeated itself, and if you visit that coast today, you'll find a large number of exclusive, impressive clubs along the shoreline owned owned and operated by slick professionals who have lost all involvement with the saving of lives. Shipwrecks still occur in those waters, but now most of the victims are not saved. They drown at sea. As Pastor Adrian mentioned, one year ago we began our first service with a short message that that touched on this very story. Ironically, as he said, we now meet in the Lighthouse Church. Today, we said one year later, we're about to embark on a, our year-long campaign with the public monthly public Bible studies aimed at clarifying what the Bible really teaches. And guess what? There will, there will be a potential of all sorts of people coming through here with all types of backgrounds, predicaments, thoughts, ideas, paradigms. We don't. Be, the uh, letter went out from Texas this week. Then most of you will probably receive it if you're in an L postal code, uh, uh, denoting the first three uh, m- monthly pu- public Bible studies. And who knows what uh, what it, what people are going to come through here? Last week, for those who were here for the games, we had a couple of, of uh, group uh, teaching activities that taught us a little bit about the uh, the need to to help people. The, the, and for those of you who weren't here, it would be interesting to talk to those who were. And and there was some significant lessons learned by those who were here going through those activities about what it is like to to uh, take people one step at a time and, and walk them through God's way of life. We... And so while our presence here using the facilities of this lighthouse church may be ironic, or perhaps it's either ironic or God-inspired. I like to think it was God-inspired. We, the church, the body of Christ, really are a lighthouse. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5 as we start. Matthew chapter 5. verse 14 tells us you are the light of the world that's Matthew 5 verse 14 you are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven the light that we shine is not our own We we are not born inherent with light in us. We are a reflection of the light of our Father and of his Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. The light that we shine comes from the source of all light. We are merely instruments of reflection as we walk through this life, shining the light of God's truth and the way of life for all to see. All who we come in contact should be able to see our good works and thereby glorify God in heaven. Whether they become believers or not, they should be able to, to have an appreciation for God and his way of life as they see us reflect that way. So we should be shining this light of God's truth and a way of life for everyone to see, and then being here like a lighthouse to give people a safe place to rest, learn what this life really is all about, and then hopefully in the long run, Become life-saving workers for God themselves, and as we embark on this year-long uh, campaign, this monthly campaign, there will people that will be coming in here needing a place to rest, needing a place to figure out what is what, where God is taking them. There, there will be, there will, they will have thoughts. They will be considering, is this God's way of life? We don't know all of their backgrounds. They will come from any look look at us. We we here all come from a myriad of backgrounds. That will be our experience as God brings others to us. We developed a roadmap. We'll put it up later on. We'll put it up later on. Um those of you those of you who were here last year helped us develop a roadmap. There was a document created to help us. Help keep us focused on our mission. And we'll look at it in detail a little bit later, but you'll note that it is all based on Scripture. For those of you who do not have a copy, there are copies at the back to take home with you if you'd like. But every single line of this roadmap is based on Scripture. And that is because our mission is not our own, our mission is God's mission. And we take our direction from the pages of Scripture. Over the last year, we've done a lot of heavy, heavy lifting. So Our messages have been, uh, from a variety of sources, have been chock full of a, a lot of heavy material. Heavy Bible studies, really in-depth, all aimed at defining who we are and what God needs us to do. Today, we're going to lighten it up just a little bit. Today, I would like to use this occasion of our first anniversary to review our mission as life-saving workers for Jesus Christ. Our lighthouse is a small one today. You look, this is a, a large crowd for us, but in the scope of church and all things Christianity, we're, this is pretty small. This is a pretty small life-saving station, much like that life-saving station we talked about that was just a tiny little hut with a few people uh, working hard. That is, that is where we stand today. What's to the lives we may be used to save in the future? we may be just what they need. We are happy and joyous today at this event that we've been together for a year, but let's be reminded of why we are really here. So as we begin, let's go to John, the book of John in chapter 15. As we look at why we are here in the lighthouse one year later. John chapter 15, and as you turn there, We're reminded that we all wear many hats. We are father or mother. We are brother or sister. We are son or daughter. We are student or teacher. We are employee and or employer. We are friend. We are nephew. We are niece. We are cousins. We are children of God. Verse 12 John chapter 15, as we consider all of those hats that we wear from time to time. We read, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Disciples of Christ, who are in the life-saving business, we know that we are, we are asked to lay down one's life. That is, being in the life-saving business. These disciples, of whom we are, are called friends of Christ. Think about that. Of all the hats that we wear—Christian, child of God, mother, father, grandfather, grandson, uh, grandmother—all of those, any, all those labels. Another label that we all wear is friend of Jesus Christ. As you look around, we have thirty odd friends of Jesus Christ. Marilyn and Michelle, you are friends of Jesus Christ. Larry, you are a personal friend of Jesus Christ. Everyone here is a personal friend of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Think about that impact as you pray. What does it mean to be a friend? What does it mean to be a true friend? Not someone who is only there when things are easy, but a true friend who is there at all times. What does it mean to be a friend of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look for a few minutes at what that really means, being a friend of Jesus Christ. Before we turn to the next scripture, let's focus back in on verse 14 that we already read, where Christ says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. If you love me, do what I say. How many without a show of hands, but those of you who are parents understand that concept. If you love me, just do what I say. Don't argue with me. Don't back talk. Just, just do what I say. If you really love me, sometimes you just have to do what I say. And this is a motif that is repeated over and over and over by Jesus Christ. And again, I see parents smiling because... You've said something along those lines to your kids at some point. And children are smiling because they know they've heard it time and probably too many times. I know I heard it when I was young. And I know I've said it one too many times, I'm sure. Let's go back a few verses, same chapter, verse 9. And we'll see how this idea is repeated time and again. That if we are friends of Christ's, we simply obey him. Verse 9 tells us, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we love Christ. We show our love for Christ. We show that we are worthy of his friendship by obeying him. And why? Because when Christ came, he obeyed his Father. When he was human here on this earth, he obeyed his father. Let's go back one chapter to chapter 14, and we'll see, again, timely in as far as these passages took place on the evening of the Passover, which we're coming up upon in 51 days. But chapter 14, we'll see some verses here. Let's look at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I say. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him. To Judas, who asked a question in the previous verse, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And he who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me again simple if we love God we do what he says if we don't love God we don't do what he says verse 29 and now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass you may believe and I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me But the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise and let us go from here. So again, this concept, clear throughout Scripture, that Christ obeys the Father, we obey Christ, and in all in all, we show our love for God the Father, for Jesus the Christ, when we obey Him. And when we do, we are welcomed in to his circle of friendship this is why much of our focus has been on teaching the word of God this is why we developed in addition to the the messages that we've been, we've been subject to and privileged to hear over the last year from so many different resources and as we talked about earlier some of them have been heavy, It's not you don't just hear them once you have to go back and, and revisit them and, and look at them again because there's just so much in there to take in it's also why we developed this small group study during the midweek to give us a further opportunity to review our teachings together, to dissect God's word, to to take it apart, not just individually, but in, in a group setting to become more fluent in the truth that sets us free. We are not justified by our own actions. That's it. It's incompletely called saved by works, but we are not justified by our actions. That is a. Our justification is a free gift that we cannot earn, we cannot do anything for, we've never earned. We could be perfect from here on out and never earn that justification. It is God's free gift through the saving blood of Jesus Christ. But our actions show God where our heart is. If you love me, keep my commandments. How does God know if we are really committed to this way of life? Let's go back to James, James chapter 2. justification is a completely free gift. But James in verse 18 says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. That's simply another way of saying if you love me, if you have faith in me, simply do what I say. It's not going to, it's not going to get you saved. It's going to tell me that you want to be my friend. It's going to tell me that you want to be in my inner circle. It's going to tell that you appreciate the sacrifice that I made, that my father made on your behalf, the shed blood that, that I spilled, the beatings and whippings that I took. Your works, doing what I say, simply tells me that you appreciate that, that you want to be part of that. Obedience matters. It tells God we are happy to be his children and that we accept the friendship of his son. But it is not the only way that we show Christ that we are his friends. There is a second way, and we must have both. We can't have one or the other. We must have both to show Christ that we appreciate and accept his offer of friendship. Let's go back to John 15, where we were, where we started. verse 14 already which told us if you are my friends if you do whatever I command you but just before that he tells us greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends we know we noted the importance of obedience to his law we also see here that personal sacrifice is equally important and this also is a lesson that is repeated over and over and over In scripture, let's go back a couple of pages to the 13th chapter of John. Verse 31, we'll pick it up in verse 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you can't come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So he tells us here that this is a new commandment. But if you go back to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. We see this commandment already stated here. Leviticus 19. verse 18 tells us you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself I am the Lord so flip back to John chapter 13 sorry I should have told you to keep your fingers there hopefully many of you did what makes it a new commandment what's read in Leviticus is you shall love your neighbor as yourself the newness is You shall love your neighbor as I have loved you. We now have the perfect example of how to love your neighbor. We have no excuses. If you're following your neighbor in Israel back in Old Testament times, you might not get a good example of how to love your neighbor. You might, but you might not. The newness of this commandment is that we are to love each other as Christ loved us. He showed us and modeled the perfect way to show love to our neighbor, to show love to our friends. And that is in the complete willingness to sacrifice anything in this life for your friends or for your neighbor. That is the newness. And it is the perfect model that he came to picture for us. So we see, in addition to obeying God's law, sacrifice is a way that we show that we are his friends. Romans chapter 12. Let's go there. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1. The first verse of Romans 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are to be transformed, not by the world, but for the world. We are transformed, not conformed to what the world wants, but conformed and transformed to what God wants, so that we can present Ourselves as a sacrifice for him to use. And we barely get a pat on the back for this. He says it's our reasonable service for all that he has done, for all that Christ gave to us and showed us and came to do for us. He didn't ask us to be a dead sacrifice to give up our physical life. He just asked us to be a living sacrifice through our time in our lives now, be a living sacrifice to those around you. And again, it's simply our reasonable service. It's at best, it's at best a, gets us to stay within his inner circle of friends. It's our reasonable service. Nothing great about it. Nothing that's going to be written up in the stars because he did so much more for us. This This is the least we could do is offer a bit of ourselves to others. Let's go back to James where we were. And see that James talked about this too. Second chapter of James. James here presents the link between action and sacrifice. What does it profit my brethren, verse 14, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We can talk till we're blue in the face. It means nothing unless we put it into action. So again, our actions do not benefit us. Our actions benefit others and simply tell God that we appreciate his sacrifice. We appreciate all that he did for us. We appreciate the shed blood of Jesus Christ because justification is free to us. Justification is free. But once we are justified, it's incumbent upon us to show him how we feel. And the only thing we have to do that with is our actions. Back to Matthew 25, where the scripture reading came from. And we see where this links in to this concept of being friends with Christ. When the Son of Man, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Was it all the study that they did? Was it all the great things that they could say from the pulpit? Was it all the nice articles they wrote? Was it was it all that the piety that, that they could show? No. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you and you came to me. Really? We did all this for you. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. So at the end of the day, what separates the sheep from the goats is the sacrifice that we show God for those who cannot help themselves. Because by helping those who cannot help themselves, we honor he who helped us when we can't help ourselves. We, could, we cannot save ourselves. Our death, cleanse, our death clears us of the sins we committed, but there's no way for, for, for resurrection. Christ's sacrifice and death clears the sins of all people and we cannot we could not earn that so he helped those who could not help themselves and he's asking us to do the same and we show that love to Christ by not by helping Christ but by helping those who cannot help themselves personal sacrifice caring for those who are not yet capable of helping themselves and that is not just out on a, a mission, but it can be here. As people come into our midst, it's helping those understand God's way. It's being there, being an ear an ear to hear, a shoulder to cry on, a, someone to simply listen and understand. There's lots of ways that we can give of our time, give of ourselves to do that. To be a friend of Christ, we obey him and we lay down our lives for others. We brought up the subject of the roadmap, which many of you have seen. There are copies at the back for those who would like one. And it defines our mission here as a congregation, it defines our vision. Why this roadmap? It doesn't replace the Bible. In fact, if you notice, every single line, is associated with the scripture. So it doesn't replace the Bible. It gives us focus. Let's go to Proverbs 29 and answer the question of why a roadmap. Because it's not to replace the Bible. When we go to Proverbs 29, verse 18 tells us, where there is no vision the people perish. That's the how the King James puts it. When you go to a New King James or an English Standard Version or other versions, we see where there's no revelation or vision, the people cast off restraint. We keep our vision top of mind so that our lighthouse doesn't become a social club. If we don't go back and remind ourselves all the time why we are here, we risk becoming a social club and we have a lot of fun this could be this could this is a great social club if that was our mission but it isn't our mission it sort of lightens the burden from time to time when we socialize and bring in the social qualities but we are a lighthouse first we are a lighthouse first when we forget why we are here we stop doing what we need to do and when we read this our vision that we've said is that we are a dynamic, actively serving congregational family that worships God in spirit and in truth and keeps the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4. Again, we're not going to read every scripture on here. We're just going to pick out a couple just to show that everything that is up here that we helped create, and it wasn't just us, We, we, we worked on it together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul is begging those who follow him to walk worthy of why they were called. That it's important what they do. With all lowliness and gentleness, not haughtiness and piety, but lowliness and gentleness. With long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring. Endeavoring means striving, trying. You, you don't just waltz through an endeavor. You, you, it's an effort. It takes, it takes hard work and effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We haven't always seen eye to eye on every statement of doctrine. We can sit here amongst ourselves and acknowledge that. What we have done is we've kept the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It is God's Spirit that unifies. That's why we have had a joyful first year. Because we all know that we are we all come from different paradigms. We come from different backgrounds. But God's Spirit is what unifies. And when we when we bear with one another, when we and that word forbear, I love coming back to that word, it means to put up with. We put up with each other because we're family. With humility, with lowliness of mind, with long suffering, these are all these all these words take effort, take sacrifice, take suppressing the pride for the benefit of the group. A dynamic, actively serving. When we all come in here, we see when everyone's buzzing around doing something. Everyone has something to do. Whether it's in in the setting up the the execution of services, the execution or setting up of the meal afterwards, or encouraging and edifying one another. Everyone has something to offer and something to do when we are present as a family. As with any families, the the happiest of families are when everyone does something. When the, the the, the teenage boy who's 13 years old spends his time in his room on whatever systems there are and never helps the family, that causes frustration. But when everyone pitches in a little bit, like like happens here, there's happiness. We can that helps us forbear one another because we see that we are family. Of course, in spirit and in truth, that's referenced in John chapter four, twenty four, you don't need to turn there, you can reference that yourself. We have to have a reason, and God's truth is the reason to do that, because as we've talked about here, if we love him, we do what he says. Our mission, obviously coming from uh, in part from the, the end of the Gospels, to work locally to preach the gospel to all nations and to prepare God's people for marriage to Jesus Christ. Doing what we can out there, but preparing the body in here. It's a two-fold mission that we are all a part of. We've been preparing each other for the last year, now over the course of the next year, we get to open our doors a little bit and see who is interested in hearing what has helped us, what what has benefited us over the course of your time walking with God. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. As we look back at ourselves and look forward, And remind ourselves what it it really means to be a friend of Christ. Verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write that so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And without controversy, great is this mystery of godliness. And then he continues. But the the point here is that it's important to conduct ourselves properly because this is our house of God. This is a house of prayer. This is the house of God. This is where we come as a family to worship God. And when we conduct ourselves right, and it's not just how we sit and how how we sit properly and stand and sing, but it's how we conduct ourselves with each other, that we forbear, that we follow all of the principles that when we studied the one another scriptures and we studied the gifts and we all those things that we've studied over the last year, all has, been, all has been aimed at helping us understand how as a congregation we can serve God best by serving each other and being ready for those who may come in our midst. And our guiding principle is based on that scripture alone. That we ought to know how to behave ourselves as the house of God. This isn't a social club. This is a lighthouse. This is a house of God. Which is the church of the living God. The pillar and the ground of truth. The body of Christ. We need to treat ourselves as we would the body of Christ. Because that's what the church is. And that is part of our guiding principle. And we see many values, many goals. The one goal that we come back to that I'd like to focus on is the second one. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Because we've all been to many different churches, organizations, over the course of our life. Whether it be Church of God organizations or whatever other types of churches you attended before you came into this faith. And one of the values and goals that our family has developed here, that we remind each other of on a constant basis, is the need to provide a safe place for people to come. That people can come and feel safe and valued. And we see that here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15 let's go back to verse 13 for you brethren have been called to liberty only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another for all the law is fulfilled in one word even in this that you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another Beware lest you be consumed by one another. We need to continue to be a safe place to be, that people can walk in and feel comfortable here to share whatever it is to help get them through, that if they need a shoulder, if they need someone to listen to, it doesn't have to necessarily be the leadership. We should all be so such a part of this family that we can all be able to help someone but at all times we provide a safe environment that where there's gossip everyone stands up and says we don't do that here we talk about someone else we don't do that here that's not part of our family as you consider the the rules that you have in your family home you you have expectations of the people that live in your home we have all agreed that our expectation here is we're a safe place we might need to work on some things together, but it's safety first. People can feel like they're part of our family when they walk in. And in that, and in these values and goals, we become and continue to be friends of Jesus Christ. Because as we treat one another, and as we treat anyone who walks in, we that's how we treat him. And he feels he feels the treatment of how we treat others everyone else. So why the roadmap? Why do we continue to show it at the back to hand it out whoever needs it? Because it defines who we are. It breaks down. It doesn't it doesn't supersede scripture. It helps pinpoint and focus scripture for us because there's a lot here. So if you want to know what our family is about, that breaks it down for us and it reminds us what we why we are here. What our purpose is and how we need to act when we're around each other. Dwight Lyman Moody was a 19th century American evangelist and author. He was a prolific preacher, and many would come to hear him speak. At one of his meetings, he related the story of a shipwreck on a dark and very stormy, tempestuous, windy, rainy, lightning night when there was not even a single star visible. And a ship was approaching the harbor of Cleveland, and there was a pilot on board. The captain noticed that there was only one light as they drew near, and that was from the lighthouse. He asked the pilot, who would have been familiar with the area, if he was sure this was Cleveland Harbor, as there should be other lights burning at the harbor mouth the pilot replied that he was quite sure this is absolutely, I know, my, I know my area, I know my territory this is Cleveland Harbor the captain said but where are the lower lights the pilot said they've gone out can we make the harbor the captain asked the pilot answered succinctly we must or we'll die So the old captain steered the vessel toward her course, aiming for this lighthouse. But in the darkness of the harbor mouth, he missed the channel. And the ship was washed up on a bunch of rocks and capsized, and many lives were lost that day in the stormy waters. Moody made this appeal to his audience. He said, brothers, the master will take care of the great lighthouse. Let us keep the lower lights burning. Among his hearers, among the people in the congregation that day, was Philip Bliss. He was a well-known hymn writer. And this striking story suggested to him one of his most popular hymns, that of the lower lights. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. verse 18 tells us this I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it the master will always take care of the lighthouse the church the body of Christ will always exist there's nothing to fear that lighthouse the church of God the body of Christ is sure it will, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Christ, the body of Christ, the owner of that body, assures us the lighthouse of the church of Jesus Christ will always stand. The lighthouse points the way to the harbor and to the only path of safety. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, to our final scripture. The lighthouse, like the church, points the way to safety. Points the way to safety. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, By what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is one path to safety and that is Jesus Christ. The lighthouse, the church which will never die, its job is to point that way. Individually, we, as individuals, are like the lower lights. And the lower lights are those little lights along the shore that tell you where the shoreline is. When you, my wife grew up on, on the shores of Lake Erie, you knew where the shore was by all the lights in the homes. Well, back in the day, when there's a lighthouse in this and where you need to get people guided into there was little lights burning we are like these lower lights that help guide people to the life-saving station known as the lighthouse operated by our lord and savior when we shine our lower lights together not just an individual lower light but all of our lights together we point the way to our collective assembly known as the church whose head is jesus christ How strong and impactful would a single lower light be? Negligible. That's why it takes all of us, the community, coming together. And there's another reason why it takes all of us. Because this is hard work. This is exhausting. Sometimes, we don't have the energy to be out in the fog, the cold, the wind, keeping our lamps burning. Sometimes you need to come in, and I need to relieve you. And you need to rest, have a sleep, trim your lamps a little bit, get some more oil, and then go back out. We need to go inside from time to time, warm up, rest, eat, sleep, and be re-energized to go out and be a lower light again. But the lower lights must always be burning. If someone needs a break, someone else comes in and takes over. That's why it takes a community. The lower lights must always be burning, or we risk ships going astray. So if you need a rest once in a while, let someone know. We'll keep your light burning. But not so that you can disappear, but so you can get back at it and relieve someone else. Our work is specific and critical, as noted by our our roadmap. And when enough of us are on duty, the way to the lighthouse Will be made clear and visible. And it is there that those stranded at sea will be fed, clothed, and cared for by others with the truth and the love of God. So, as friends of Jesus Christ, let us keep our wicks trimmed, let us keep our lamps full, and our lights on, because some poor seamen, tempest tossed, trying hard to make the harbor in the darkness, may be lost.